You know, today we're getting our new journey through finding joy. We walk through this season and sometimes we, we're in the midst of this season that's supposed to be the happiest time of the year, but so many of us struggle with finding that happiness. And this journey is how do we find true joy no matter what life may throw at us. You know, today we're going to pause for just a moment and, and what can we thank God for? How can we find confidence in Him? Because I believe that at the core of every single person, we're all on this quest to find confidence. At some level, we all struggle with confidence. Who are we? What's this all about? How can I move forward in my day-to-day? You know, people have always wrestled with this. Thomas Edison, for example, one of the greatest inventors of all time, was a man who struggled with confidence. When he was three months old, his teacher assumed he was in, in, uh, intellectually disabled. His health was fragile as a child, and then when he was a teenager, someone grabbed him by the ears and pulled him onto a moving train that caused him to begin to go deaf. But yet he became one of the greatest inventors this world has ever known. There was Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was considered a slow learner as well as a child. He was shy and he was quiet, but he became one of the greatest scientists of all time. In the Bible, we see people consistently struggle with their confidence, who they are. There was Moses who who struggled with his speech. There was David who had significant sin struggles. There was Noah who struggled with his drunkenness. There was Abraham and Sarah who could not have children. There was Esther who was just an average person who changed uh, the, the society and brought hope into their nation. We could go on and on, but th- at the core of every single person that has ever lived in, in this world, that, have, that has ever walked through this world, we all struggle with the internal battle of confidence. We all struggle with that. We all try to find out who we are. And see, we live in this world that's constantly trying to define and determine what we find our confidence in. It's constantly pushing us in a certain direction. You know, this world pushes us to find our confidence in our own desires. What feels right, what I think I feel I should do, whatever it may be. And we try to find, based upon our own desires, we try to find our confidence also by what other people say about us. They try to build us up. And we become a society where our desires have become our idols. And that's the problem I think we're all in. Whether we realize it or not, we've become a society of idol-worshiping our own desires. But can I just tell you, your desires do not define you, they do not determine you, nor are they what delight you. They're not. But yet the world tries to make us believe that we're defined, we're determined, and we're delighted by our desires. But in the end... We're not. And so many of us struggle with our confidence because we're trying to find our who we are and our confidence based upon our desires. And we try to build ourselves up by building up what our desires are based upon what other people say or think or do. And we think we just kinda, we, it just kind of helps us with our confidence. But that type of confidence is like standing on a beach. Have you ever stood on a beach and you're with the waves crashing in and all of a sudden you notice just the sand kind of pulling out from underneath you and you're sinking and you're sinking and you're sinking? That's the confidence of the world. That's the confidence when you get bought into the idol worship of the world, of your own desires, slowly and surely, like sand uh, sifting away, it's it's pulling you away from your own uh, reality of what God's designed you to be. 
Did you know Jesus spoke about this very battle? Jesus spoke about the battle of our confidence and trying to find who we are based upon what's inside of us or what the world or others around us tell us. In John chapter 5 verse 44, this is not in your notes, but in John chapter 5 verse 44, Jesus says these words, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? He says, how can you believe when you're trying to find your own confidence based upon what you feel is right and what you have other people trying to tell you is right? How in the world can you even believe what I have for you? You're missing it is what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is telling us the glory, our confidence is not found in this world. Our glory, our confidence is not found within our desires. It's only found through him the creator of everything that is. And so what tends to happen is we try to find our confidence based upon what we desire from within and what other people we surround ourselves with says that we want to hear. And then before we know it, we are seeking the approval of man rather than God. And we're in this constant battle of confidence. Who am I? How am I going to get out of bed this morning? I'm going to get through this day. When this hardship comes, what am I I going to stand on? What's going to get me through? You know, Paul took it to even a deeper level in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Paul wrote this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for just a moment. Let that sink in. Where did Paul find his confidence? He found his confidence in Jesus. Because of what God has done, what Jesus has begun, the work that he's continuing to do in your life, he is carrying it out to completion. And that, my friends, is where we can find confidence. I thank God because of what he's done. That's where my focus has to go. It's not always easy because there's things in this world that kind of beat me down. But my focus has to constantly be on him and what he has done rather than this world. You see, Paul's, Paul's confidence came in Jesus who began that good work and was continuing it on to completion. You see, my friends, confidence is gained as we learn to rely on Jesus rather than ourselves. That's where confidence is gained. The more we rely on him and less on my own desires, the more you find confidence in who you are and who God created you to be. So what are the good works that Jesus has done? I mean, honestly, if we find confidence based upon what he has done, that he's carrying on to completion, what is that? It's easier said than done, but what is that? We need to be real with that. Well, first of all, I think it's the reality of the cross. The fact that he went to the cross and died for us. And before we say, well, I'm not so sure about that, every major religion in the world agrees in the fact that Jesus walked on this earth and died on that cross. It's historical fact. And I can find confidence because I know what he's done. The grace that he has given. But you know what else? What has he done for you personally? How has he worked in your life personally? 
I think it's a struggle for all of us in the fact that we wrestle with seeing how God is working in our life in a personal level because we're so focused on the here and now, what we're fighting, the battles we're in in the moment that we forget what he has done. I encourage you to help you in that journey to remember what God has done for you personally. Keep a diary. Keep a running log. You know, there's an old hymn that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. And I think so often we lack confidence because we forget the blessings that he's already done in our life. So do this. Here's my challenge for you. Every single day, have a notebook right next to you. When you see God at work, and you will... When you see him at work, whether it's in a big way or a small way, when you see him bless you personally or you see a blessing come your way from him, write it down. Journal it. Keep those blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Keep that running log of a daily journal of what God has done in your life or through your life or around your life. Because when those bad days come and you're wondering how can I trust that he will come, come through, all you have to do is open that little notebook. Boom. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. And the Bible says count your blessings. And you see, when I can count my blessings, when I can keep that journal and see what God has done, even though the days may be hard, I can say, hmm, he did it before. I can trust him today. I can trust him today. I encourage you to do that. We can be thankful for what he has done. You know, in Luke chapter 1, as we... As we take these first steps towards the Christmas season, we see this first story of John the Baptist. It was a significant God moment that led to the birth of Jesus. It is a story of a family that found their confidence in the coming Messiah. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth are John the Baptist's parents. And here they were, they were old in age, and they were unable to have children. The Bible says that Elizabeth was unable to bear children. And then God and then the angel came to Zechariah one day and told him, you're going to have a son. And then Zechariah said this in Luke chapter 1 verse 18. He asked the angel, how can, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. It's, it, it's just not natural. Zechariah in that moment asks a question that every one of us wrestles with. When we see God at work, when we see God coming through, when we see God's promises, every one of us at some point wrestles with the question, how can I be so short? How can I be sure that he'll come through? How can I be sure that what he says is true? How can I be sure what his promises say are accurate? How can I be sure? And here we see this man, Zechariah, standing before this angel. Hey, that sounds great. But how can I be sure? You know, that's the question of the ages. Every generation throughout history has asked that same question that you ask right now. God, how can I trust you? How can I be sure you are who you say you are? How can I be sure that you will come through when it just doesn't seem like there's any possible way? You know, I believe God proves himself consistently and constantly. I believe God comes through in so many different ways. You see, I think God proves himself constantly through the visible realities of creation. Creation, I believe, just shouts out 
all the time, God is here, God is here, God is here. I think it's so hard to look at creation and not come to the reality that there is a God who desperately loves us. You know, just look at creation. Everything that God created that he said is good is life-giving. Everything in his creation at some level is there to give life. I mean, is that not amazing when you think about that? How unbelievable creation is. I mean, that's not something that just happens by chance. Life does not just happen by, by chance, but everything God created is good in the fact that it gives life. Or just notice the organization within creation. I mean, use the law of mathematics, for example. In 1960, the Princeton physicist and Nobel Prize winner, um, his name was Eugene Wigner, he raised a fundamental, very important question. His question in 1960 was, why does the natural world always obey the laws of mathematics? And that's something... Math, uh, mathematicians and physicists have wrestled with from the dawn of time. How does this work? How does it all come together? Because the mathematical laws ev define everything within our world. The order of everything that is within creation in this world and within the whole universe of the solar system can all be going down to the order of mathematics. And the Bible says that the God we serve is not a God of disorder, but of order. You see, I believe that God proves himself consistently through creation. Consistently. And I believe that God proves himself through the mystery of our own conscience. There's a spiritual world that's constantly going on all around us. And we have this conscience, the Bible calls our conscience the Holy Spirit. It is part of the Trinity. It's God at work within us and around us who's constantly speaking to us. Make that choice. Don't go that way. You better not do that. Stop. I mean, the mystery of your conscience, I think, proves the reality of God. I, I believe that God proves himself consistently, consistently through the historical evidence of his word. I believe that if you would go through and put the Bible to the test and you would try to, to see how the Bible adds up to all the historical evidence we have, that you would be blown away at the reality of the historical evidence of scriptures. And so many of those historical writings occurred before we even had the proof. And people would say, I don't know if that nation ever existed. Oh, wait, there it is. Archaeology has constantly pr proven the reality of the scriptures and the histor histor historical accuracy. And I believe God proves himself through his word, the Bible. The Bible says that this is the living, active, breathing word of God. That every time you open up and you read those pages, it is the breath of God speaking into your life. And if you take time to invest in his word, God will invest in you. God is always speaking through that. And so here's my challenge. If you've never made it a habit to be in God's word on a regular basis, do this from now till Christmas. Here's my challenge. One chapter a day. Just do one chapter a day. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that hard. One chapter a day, sit down and just read it. You know, go, through the, go through the gospel of John or the gospel of Luke or something and just read one chapter a day now through Christmas. And before you read, pray this prayer. God Show yourself to me. Maybe he's prayed a couple times. God, show yourself to me. 
and read his word. And then don't just close it and run off to your day. Take a couple minutes and just let God speak through that. Hear his voice. I promise you, if you do that, you will see the reality of God at work in your life. You will. I believe there's proof of the reality of God all around us. All around us. But yet, like Zechariah, we all come to this place in life when we view, when our view of reality is in crisis. And we come to this crisis mode of how can I be sure my desires don't match what he says I'm supposed to do. Or life has just beat me down, whatever it may be. And then we're in this reality of crisis of our confidence because it's uncertain. And, and we just, like Zechariah, we stand before the throne of God. How can I know for sure you are who you say you are? And then when Zechariah asked that question, the angel Gabriel responded in the next verse, verse 19. The angel said to him in Luke 1:19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. What Gabriel is saying here in this moment is saying, you can be sure because, hello, do you see me? I mean, am I really of this world? Have you ever seen me before? I am an angel of God standing before you. It's, I think it's pretty obvious that you know something else sent me. And then because Zechariah did not believe, the angel said, okay, I'm going to take away your ability to speak. And so then from that point on, Zechariah was not able to speak to, to, those, to his family or anybody else. He used sign language, sign language from that point on to speak to those until John the Baptist was born. And you know, Gabriel's telling him, it's so obvious, I'm here. You can, you can be sure because of my existence in your presence in this moment. You see, my friends, sometimes we struggle with confidence because we overlook the obvious. And I think we do it so easily and so often that we miss out God because we overlook the obvious. And we try to act smarter than maybe we really are. And too often we overcomplicate life by the yeah buts. We all throw the yeah buts into it. God, I hear you. Yeah, but, you know, God, you say you're going to come through. Yeah, but, God, you tell me to live this way, but, and so many times we look over the obvious, God, are you sure? How can I be sure of this? With the yeah, buts we throw in there because our confidence is clashing with our desires and God's heart. And God reveals himself daily through the visible realities that prove and give confidence with the invisible realities. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 1. We can find confidence in seeing what God has already done and trust him what he's about to do, what he plans to do. You see, we find confidence not based upon what we think we are or what those around us tell us we should be. We find confidence in who the creator says we are. And we find confidence knowing what he's already done. See, God's at work. God's at work in extraordinary ways in your life and all around the world. And my friends, everywhere you look, God's there. Everywhere you look, God's presence is there. And to see him at work should give us confidence. I just want to share some more of what God is doing. Let me invite a friend, Austin Gagno, up here. He's from West Africa with Training Tomorrow's Leaders, the mission we support. Will you guys welcome Austin up to the stage? 
Like I said, Austin is here with us for this weekend. Austin, my brother, it's good to see you today. Thank you for coming here. I appreciate you joining us. And, and uh, Austin, if you guys remember, um, over the summer and this past year, um, we, we heard the call and the need for help with um, the building of some fa- uh, facilities in Western Africa um, that were desperately needed so that they could continue their mission to train up people um, to go out and, and share the message of Jesus throughout the world. And, and uh, the project is, is completed and great things are happening. So, Austin, thank you for coming, first of all. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Bill. Yes, and so tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your journey. So my name is Austin Ganyu. Uh, I am from Ghana, West Africa. I, um, I, I took over from David and Barbara Kalb. I think a lot of you know them. They're, they've been, they're from the area. Uh, David and Barbara came to Ghana in 1972 as missionaries. My dad, who was a convert from uh, African traditional religion to Christianity, became their house help and cook. So I was born in the same compound with their children. I've known David since I was little, and um, growing up, I worked alongside him, and now uh, my wife and I have taken over from them as uh, the missionaries on the field. Uh, we did that. Uh, I, I moved back to Ghana in 2010, and now we are in northern Ghana, uh, working in northern Ghana, Togo, and Burkina Faso. Our mission, Train Tomorrow's Leaders, is a church planting organization. We've planted 125 churches in three countries, and Impact is one of our supporting churches. It's just truly amazing to see God working and how he works through you. And, and um, you know, tell us a little bit more about your personal journey, how you got to where you are today. Yes, yeah, so uh, like I said, my parents um, never actually got the opportunity to go to school. But uh, glory be to God, in 1978, my dad became a Christian and started working for the Cubs. I was born in the same compound with them. When I was five years old, David was working, working on a sailboat, and I came out and started helping him, and when we were done, he asked what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had been impacted by the missionaries so much that I told him I wanted to be a preacher when I grew up, and he never forgot that. So uh, he spent time uh, mentoring me. When I, uh, I graduated from high school, I went to the Bible college uh, that he taught at, Ghana Christian College and Seminary. Uh, when I finished from that, I went to the nation of Niger. Uh, Americans call that country Niger. Uh, it's on the Sahara Desert, and uh, it's, it's predominantly Muslim populated, 95% Muslim. I spent a year there. Uh, after that, I came to the States uh, to work on my Master of Divinity in Theology at Cincinnati Bible Seminary. Uh, graduated in 2012, met my wife, um, who was on staff at one of our supporting churches in Plainfield, Indiana. She's actually originally from California, and since 2012, we now live in Tamale, uh, which is a city of about a million people, 80% Muslim. We started a church there, and we lead uh, a group of 33 church planters who have planted uh, these churches in Ghana. We have 105 churches in northern Ghana. We have 22 churches in northern Togo, and then we started a church in Burkina Faso. So that is a little bit about uh, my story. Yeah. So, and you have a wife and two children. So tell yes. us a little bit more about your family. Yes. So uh, my wife, Amanda, is, is just, just wonderful. They're actually back in Ghana because the kids are still in school. I had to come to the States uh, for the International Conference on Mission, which was in Richmond, Virginia this year, uh, and also to, have, to go on some church visits. Uh, we have our oldest son, Harrison, is five years old. 
Uh, yesterday, he lost a tooth, so that's the second tooth, and um, he was excited to show me that. We have a daughter who is three, Evie. Uh, Evie knows um, how to pu push all the buttons on Harrison. Every toy Harrison has, she wants, and um, it's always fun that way as a parent. So uh, I'm, I'm actually missing them. I'm looking forward to going back and spending time with them. Well, I appreciate you the sacrifice your family's making for you to be here with us today, and, and uh, I know you miss them and looking forward to get back to them. You know, I need to ask you, because we're both, uh, Austin and I, we did not go at the same time, but we both are Cincinnati Bible College alums, and, you know, the most important any Cincinnati person can ask another person who's been in Cincinnati is, you know, are you a Skyline person? I am totally a Skyline person. Okay. That, that Five my heart. regular, yes. all day long. In case you have no idea what I'm talking about, Skyline Chili, Cincinnati Chili, it will change your life. I that mean, is true. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Get to Ohio and try it out. Right. Yeah, but Austin, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about the amazing things that God is doing through your mission. Yeah, um, I mean, because of COVID, things have been difficult. Borders with Togo and Burkina Faso were closed. But in spite of that this year, um, two churches were started in Togo and another one was started in Ghana. We have, we've had uh, 435 baptisms this year to the glory of God. Um, and all of that is through the efforts of supporting churches like Impact uh, through your prayers and uh, from the faithful work that our church planters are doing, crossing rivers, crossing borders, visiting unreached uh, areas uh, to try to bring people out of Islam into Christianity. Uh, we also just graduated 14 men from our in-mission Bible school. One of our big needs we noticed is uh, men who would be able to take the gospel to these unreached groups. Um, Train Tomorrow's Leaders works in 14 unreached people groups, and uh, one of our big needs is men that would go. So we started about a, a year and a half ago. We started a, a Bible school, Carrie School of the Bible and Missions, and through that we've been able to graduate 14 men uh, that we are now trying to uh, connect with individuals and churches to support them monthly so they would be able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that are actually needing it. And so uh, those are some things we are very excited about. I'm very, that's exciting to hear too. And it's just so amazing because of uh, your generosity here at Impact and what God's doing. It's, you know, just realize you're a part of what is going on in West Africa and Ghana. And it's just truly a humbling experience. And, you know, one of these days, hopefully we can kind of come over there and, and join you and see what God's doing. And, you know, so this past spring, you put out a plea. You, you needed some help. Um, because uh, there was a project that just was really holding, I don't want to say holding back, but, you know, really helped you move forward right. in the ministry. So tell us, before the help came, like, what was the situation you are dealing with? So um, in 2012, when we moved to Ghana, we moved to Tamale, which is predominantly Muslim populated. We started uh, by starting, you know, a fellowship in our living room. We moved it onto our carport as it grew, and people were being converted from Islam to Christianity. And then we bought some property in 2014. Uh, from 2014 up till now, we've been working on that project. But we had gotten to a point where we needed to uh, work on the floor or the decking, the, the next level of, of the building to cover it up so we are not in the sun, we are not exposed to the elements. And so we sent out a plea to impact. And uh, you guys have generously supported us. Uh, this week, we will be pouring the concrete so it protects the entire structure from uh, the elements, uh, and, and it actually helps us to be able to show 
those in our communities, these, the Muslims around us, that our God is great and that we have a partnership with our brothers and sisters uh, here in the States. And we couldn't do that through, without your, you guys' general support. And I just want to appreciate you guys for, for that. When we count our blessings this year, we count uh, what you guys have done uh, towards that. We are very, very grateful. Absolutely. So what are, once those buildings are fully complete, what are your hopes and dreams? Yeah, so the, the buildings will actually continue to be used to uh, bring people from Islam to Christianity. Also, we will be doing some more training. The Bible school will be expanded uh, to that structure uh, to allow us to train out more men. And we're, we're thinking about using part of it for a daycare center uh, to try to bring people in the community, expose them to the values of Christianity especially in a community that is predominantly Muslim. So the impact is going to be great for, for, for the kingdom. Absolutely. And it's just truly 435 baptisms. And I just believe there's going to be thousands of more of that. And I just, you know, I just, it's just truly amazing to see and humbling to see what God is doing through you and through your mission. And, you know, one of these days, you know, hopefully when COVID is, is not um, being its nasty self, yes. um, you know, we can come over there. And, and how many people would love to just go over there and oh, be yeah. a part? There we go. Really yeah, we've got some people. So we're, we're going to line something up. Because, right. I mean, it, it truly is a, a, an amazing opportunity, not just to hear about it, but for those of you who have been on Mission Church before, to, to, to live it, to see it, to, to really experience what you experience and see what God's doing is truly a remarkable. So I really encourage you guys that to be a part of a mission trip, whether it's this or something coming up. But Austin, what can we as a church continue to pray for you or, or support you with? Um, I'd like for you to continue to pray for uh, the converts from Islam to Christianity, uh, especially, um, you know, once they convert from Islam, you know, families disown them. They want nothing to do with them. Uh, sometimes we have to, as a mission, come up with ways to start small businesses to support some of the women because their husbands withhold support from them to try to bring them back. And so I'd ask that uh, you would pray for their faithfulness uh, even as they've become Christians. Also pray for, pray for our church planters uh, who are traveling, a lot of them via bicycles, motorbikes, uh, crossing rivers to different countries. And pray for my family, uh, especially since we're back uh, in, in Ghana, this, this year or couple of years has been difficult with COVID. Just pray that God will continue to be glorified uh, in spite of the challenge of this, this virus. And um, if, if you get the opportunity, come see us. We, I have a, a booth set up uh, outside, um, you know, out in the, uh, the uh, foyer. You can come in and talk to us. We, we send out a monthly newsletter. Uh, you can sign up for that. You would know how to be praying for us. If you want to equally give, there are opportunities to do that so we can send out men to bring the gospel to people who have not heard about Christ. So those are some areas uh, to be praying for Absolutely. Well. So please remember the Austin and his mission and those prayer requests and your daily prayers. And please, after the service out here in, in the front lobby, uh, you can meet Austin and see what's going on and sign up for his newsletter so you can stay up to date with everything that's going on there because it truly is amazing. And to see what collectively our efforts is helping to do there just to see what that's going to do. But um, Austin, we thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story and uh, just seeing what God's doing through you. I just met Austin this week and, you know, I'm just so thankful for this friendship that's, that's beginning and uh, this partnership that we have together. And so let's just, let's just uh, pray for Austin as we continue our service right now. And I'm just going to ask you, um, as we come together, 
The Bible says to lay on hands for our brothers and sisters uh, when we pray for each other. So just as a show of we're all laying our hands, just put your hands forward. um, And let's all just lay our hands on him and let's just pray for him and his mission right now. Father in heaven, we come before you in this moment. And I lift Austin and his family up to you. I pray your protection upon them. That the forces that might try to tear them apart, um, that they can stand strong against it. And uh, Lord God, the enemies that will try to defeat what they're trying to do, Lord, that you will just protect them. And uh, Lord, just help them, help them to continue in their boldness to preach your truth, to preach your love, and to share your love with every person in their regions. And Father God, I pray for every leader that they send out. I just pray that they may continue to have the tenacity and the boldness to share your truth and your love, even in areas where they're not widely accepted. I pray for peace agents in the different communities that when they go into new communities that they will be welcomed and that they can find the ability to build foundations, um, to build relationships and where truth may be found. And Lord, we just pray that you watch over Austin in his travels back home, bless his family and bless his home. And just as we partner together, impact and training tomorrow's leaders, Lord, I just pray that you do amazing things. It's in your name we pray, amen. Why don't we thank Austin for coming today. You know, it's just moments like this, it's situations like this that we see God at work in some of the most difficult ways, in some of the ways it just seems impossible, we see God at work. Just like with Zechariah, when, when God came to him, when the angel came to him and said, you will have a baby, this is impossible, no way. God always works through the impossibilities that make his work possible. You know, fast forward in this story in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist was born. And then soon after his birth, Zechariah was praising Jesus as he looked forward to the plans that God had for his son, what this meant. In Luke chapter 1 verse 68, we see Zechariah in his praise to God, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Did you catch that? He said, praise be to the Lord because he has come to his people and redeemed him. My friends, the because is our confidence. The because is everything. You know, the because is our ability to rely on Jesus because of what he has done and what he promises he will do. That because is everything. It gives us the strength to move to move forward. The because is our ability to trust and rely. You see, your because is not your desires. Your because is not what other people in this world tell you. Your because is Jesus. My friends, our confidence is gained through the creator. We are who he says we are and nothing else. You see, we understand more of who he says he is because of how he's always come through. And we can trust him in who he says he is because of the ways he's come through. And the more we know him, the more we know ourselves. And so often we lack confidence, we lack direction, we lack understanding of our own selves because we don't take time to know him. He's the creator. We are who he says he is. He is who he says he is. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. The Bible says he is the provider. He is the great physician. He is the one who makes impossibilities possible. He is the one in the darkest days when it seems like there is no other way who always comes through. You are made in his image. You were bought with a price. You are loved by the beloved. You are a creation of the creator. You want to understand who you are? You want to find confidence in this messed up, world, messed up world? You're only going to find it through the one who created you. He is the one who gives confidence. He is our because. His name is Jesus. And until we invest in him, we will never fully understand who we are. Zechariah praised God for John the Baptist, his son, for the plans and the purpose that God had for him. You see, the Bible says that God made you with plans and a purpose, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future. Yet so often we walk away from those plans to seek our own selves. And then we wonder why I struggle with confidence. And John the Baptist, the Bible says in verse 80 of Luke chapter 1, that he grew up, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. See, John the Baptist ran towards God. He invested in that relationship. John the Baptist found who he was and who the creator said he was. And there he had confidence you see, our confidence comes not by what the world tells us, not by who you want to surround yourself with. Our confidence comes from the God who never changes, from the God who created you, who loves you desperately. It's time to put aside the idols of our own desires. We're not defined, determined, or delighted by those. But when we seek him, like John the Baptist, like Zechariah, as we stand before his throne and say, how can I be sure, like Zechariah asked. But when we approach him, there he will give us the confidence to move forward. Because we are defined, we are determined, we find true delight in who God says we are, the master designer himself. So do me a favor. As we go through this Christmas season, Get that journal out. Keep it by your side. And every time you see God at work, write that blessing down. Keep that log book. So when the dark, dark days come, you go back and you see what God's done. And read a chapter a day. If you haven't been doing this already, read a chapter a day. Invest in God's word and see the God, the creator of everything is, what he has to say for you. My friends, you will find confidence as you approach the throne of God and you see who you are in him. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you and I praise you because you are good. Lord, in this moment, it's so easy to get persuaded and pulled aside and thrown around by the ever-changing world that we live in. But you never change. You are consistent throughout time and throughout space and throughout the history of mankind. And no matter what, 
You love us just the same. Your love drove you to that cross. Your love is what keeps you by our side, even when we run from you. And Lord, in this moment, help us to put away the idols we've developed in our own heart and help us to find who we are in you. Lord, we may not understand it all. We may, like Zechariah, be standing there and saying, how can I be sure? But Lord God, may we put those questions down at your feet. And may we get to know you more and learn who we are through you. You are good. And we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I've seen
So as we finish this week and move on to December, I was thinking, you know, we love our holidays. And we have quite a few of them, don't we? They're all very unique and special. You know, for Thanksgiving, we've got um, pilgrims and football and my favorite, napping. You know, with uh, Easter, we've got Easter eggs and chocolate and watching the Ten Commandments on TV. Um, Fourth of July fireworks, Memorial Day parades, and of course Christmas, right? We've got presents and family and singing carols. And of all that uniqueness, there's sort of one thread that goes across all these holidays, and that is the meal. The meal. You know, family and friends gathering around a table for fellowship, for love, and for sharing. And sometimes that meal can be different things. It can also be about new beginnings, or reconciliation, or remembrance. And eating together is both deeply personal and intensely relational. It's a statement about who we are and what we care about. You know, I don't know of any culture in the world, any culture whatsoever, where gathering together for a meal isn't considered sacred. The breaking of bread crosses all boundaries in society, and while it is uniquely a human endeavor, it's also a divine ordinance. You know, so often the gospel speaks of Jesus being invited to or inviting folks to a meal. So often in his parables, he uses food and meals and gathering together to talk about his kingdom and his ministry. And I think it's because it's so universal, it's so connecting, it's so social, it resonates with everyone. And, you know, Jesus could have chosen hundreds of different ways for us to remember him and remember his sacrifice. But the one way he chose was a meal. And that's what we do here with communion every week. We gather together to spend time and commune and share and fellowship, not just with each other, but also with Jesus. And so I want to close in Luke. If you remember the story, he's, he's told his disciples how to get ready for the Last Supper. And I'll just jump in the story here in the middle. It says, he says, now say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. So this morning, take a moment, take some time, get rid of the distractions, and spend time with Jesus at this meal. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the time you've given us to pause each week and to concentrate on our relationship with you. And Lord, it is such a joy and a pleasure to gather together with our family here today and unified across this proverbial table and remember your sacrifice, the body and the blood that you shed, not just for us, but for me. God, I cannot thank you and praise you enough for the glory of your son Jesus and what he did on that cross. In Jesus' name.